What's up, coaches? You're tuned in to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for football coaches. And this is episode number 146. So wherever you're tuning in today, whether you're in West Fargo, North Dakota, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, or right here in our neck of the woods, uh, Piney Woods, I might add, in Longview, Texas, or somewhere in between, thank you for giving us a listen. This is the second episode of season four of KYPD. And as I announced in our last episode, our pace of releasing episodes this season is going to slow down uh, in comparison to seasons past where we had a new episode dropping each week. Uh, our goal this year or this season is to put out at least two episodes a month, still on Tuesdays, so that hasn't changed. Uh, another thing that hasn't changed is our sponsors for season four of KYPD, beginning with the guys at GoEdit Graphics. GoEdit Graphics allows any coach to create custom graphics from their library of templates in a matter of minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They have a wide variety of templates, brand new ones. If you haven't checked them out in a while, you need to go check them out today uh, that you can choose from to make the perfect graphic to highlight everything going on within your athletic teams and programs. Go at a graphics is easy. It's affordable and no design skills are needed. It's a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes and subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Highlight your athletes with custom-made graphics in less than two minutes with Go at a graphics. Also, we're proud once again to be partnering with Our Coaching Network for this season of KYPD. Our Coaching Network is a football coaching platform that connects coaches from all levels and helps them get better every week. Our Coaching Network has live clinics going off usually a couple to a few nights a week. And we'll have hours and hours of high-quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred back to at any time in the future. So, Get on over there, create your account today. Subscriptions are super affordable, and you can even sign up for a free week and then cancel at any time. Start connecting with and learning from coaches all across the country today with our coaching network. Okay, so in our last episode, we spoke with UTSA's wide receiver coach, Joe Price, who did an awesome job. And so now this week, we're walking across the line of scrimmage and talking with Texas Southern cornerbacks coach, Darren Garrigan. Uh, coach Garrigan just wrapped up his first season coaching cornerbacks at Texas Southern. He joined the TSU staff after a four-year stint at the University of Incarnate Word in San Antonio. At UIW, the Cardinals won a pair of Southern Conference championships and made two appearances in the FCS playoffs during Garrigan's four-year tenure at UIW. Garrigan joined the staff as the cornerbacks coach in 2018 and was elevated to pass game coordinator and defensive backs coach, also serving as the, campus, as the camp's coordinator and the NFL liaison. Prior to UIW, Garrigan spent four seasons as a secondary coach at Texas A&M Commerce. In four seasons, Coach Garrigan tutored a secondary that was not only at the top of the Lone Star Conference, but was also one of the tops in the country. He helped produce 14 all-conference players, three all-region players, one LSC defensive back of the year, and one All-American. In four seasons, the line defense intercepted 71 passes, caused 185 pass breakups, and scored 12 defensive touchdowns. In 2017, Coach Garrigan and the Lions won the Division II National Championship, and during the 2017 National Championship season, the Lions had one of the top secondaries in the country. The team ranked 11th in the nation in opponent passing efficiency, 15th in scoring defense, 20th in red zone defense, and 9th in interceptions. The scoring defense was the best average in Texas among all scholarship programs. Prior to his college coaching career, Coach Garrigan worked at Freedom High School in Woodbridge, Virginia, where he was the assistant head coach and coached the defensive backs. As a player, Coach Garrigan was a two-year starter at defensive back for West Texas A&M, where he was part of Don Carthel's first recruiting class. He helped lead the Buffaloes to the Lone Star Conference Championship in back-to-back -back seasons in 2005 and 2006. Prior to West Texas A&M, he played football at Lackawanna College, where he was a preseason All-American and was a team MVP for his sophomore season. 
Following his time at WT, Coach Garrigan played two seasons in the Arena League for the Alabama Vipers and was a starting member of the Vipers League Championship squad in 2008. Today, Coach Garrigan and I discuss his coaching career up to this point and his thoughts on turning around struggling programs. Uh, we then get into his philosophy and coaching corners, including how he installs various coverages, uh, handles formations, route combos, and more. We then dive into some recruiting talk where Coach Garrigan gives some impassioned but sound advice to both high school athletes and coaches about navigating the recruiting process. As you can see, we have a ton of great stuff to get to today, so let's get this thing rolling. Here's Coach Darren Garrigan on episode number 146 of KYPD. Coach Garrigan, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Glad to uh, uh, have a DB coach on the podcast. We don't get many of you guys, so it's awesome to uh, to uh, have you on tonight so we can talk some DB play. And uh, really looking forward to our conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's because everybody loves offensive side. So everybody loves receiver play, quarterback play, O-line and running back. So the DBs always get left out. So it's okay. I'm used to it. Yeah, hey, this well, that's really the whole idea behind how this podcast got started because I love listening to podcasts and was always, you know, trying to find content out there for defensive side, defensive stuff, specifically mm-hmm. at the time, especially uh, defensive line play. And for about every um, one defensive line topic or clinic or topic, you could find five or six offensive line, you know, topics or, or clinics or articles. And I'm sure you found the same thing with with uh with, with you know wide receivers and quarterback play and things like that so hey the uh the guys who are feel like they're left out of the uh out of the loop on this deal are finally getting their time to shine so let's dive right in you're at texas southern now um have um you know we just before we hit record here <clears throat> excuse me talked about some places you've made some stops you've made and, and really a, an impressive coaching career so far but just Back up. You're not from Texas, but you spent a lot of time coaching here. Just give us a little bit on your background and just on your football journey up to this point. Gotcha. So um, originally I'm from Virginia, the Woodbridge area. And um, so at coming out of high school, uh, I went to Garfield Senior High School. Uh, but coming out, I actually went to a junior college in Pennsylvania called Lackawanna College and uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where they make the, uh, the TV show The Office. So that's kind of like a little nugget right there for them. Um, so I was there for two years. I didn't have the grades coming out of high school. And then I actually got my kickstart in Texas. I got a scholarship to play at West Texas A&M in 2005 under Don Carthel. Uh, he just got the job there. So I was part of his first recruiting class. I was there in 05 and 06. Um, we won back-to-back Lone Star Conference championships. And then after that, I thought I was a good player. I really wasn't. I was just fast, but I wasn't really a good player. Um, I went to go play arena ball in 2008. Um, in Alabama, the team was actually called Tennessee Valley Vipers, but it was in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so I played there for two years. I, I was played there in 08. I went back to school in 09 at West Texas A&M to get my bachelor's degree. And then I played uh, back with the Vipers uh, in 2010. And then I just happened, I just kind of, be honest with you, I kind of like retired midseason, just wasn't me anymore. And again, I wasn't that good of a player. And then come to find out, I was kind of just working a job and just kind of ran into a high school coach that kind of mentored me way back in the day when I was playing kind of stumbled on him 
and just kind of ask about coaching. And boom, I coached high school ball for two years back in Virginia at Freedom High School. And then I wanted to break into college. I did a whole bunch of camps. So I was kind of just young and hungry and I wanted to move up. So I actually got my start at uh, East Central University in uh, Ada, Oklahoma Division II program. Their defensive coordinator actually coached me at West Texas A&M, a guy named Justin Deason. And then the journey pretty much started from there. So I was at East Central for two years, got my uh, master's there. And then the defensive coordinator, Coach Deason, left to go to Texas A&M Commerce. Um, And then he brought me with him as a secondary coach. So then we had a lot of success at Commerce. We won four championships in a row, like three conferences in a row. And then we won the national championship in 2007. Then again, Coach Deason gets a defensive coordinator job at Incarnate Word under Coach Morris. And then he brings me again as a secondary coach. So that's three times already. Um, so I just ended up there for four years. It was a bad program when we got there. We won two championships in four years, which it kind of kick-started there. Now they're, like, amazing now. Um, and then after the head coach left to go to Washington State, it's kind of funny because you said all the offensive guys, everybody loves them so much and all the clinics, everybody wants to know what it is. Well, the defensive staff got fired. <laughs> the offensive staff stayed. So the defensive guys got let go. I didn't have a job for about two or three months. And um, I was deep in the game. I had a big ego. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was a man. And come to find out I wasn't the man. Didn't have a job, nothing. So I just texted the head coach at um, Texas Southern. He was at A&M. He was uh, Kevin Summons' right-hand man. I just texted him and said, hey, man, I don't have a job. You got something for me? Boom. Got here pretty much February. And um, we actually had one of our most successful seasons ever here in school history. Um, so I would say our arrow's pointing up. Um, uh, Texas Southern. And if you want a quick backtrack, in 2016 and 17, I did an internship in the NFL, Detroit Lions under Jim Caldwell, and then Patrick Mahomes' rookie year in 2017 with Andy Reid with the Chiefs. So just a little nugget right there. Yeah, well, um, you know, obviously a ton of success. You know, you mentioned um, at, at Commerce and then and then turning the program around at UIW. You know, besides the championships and the obvious stuff, when you look back on your coaching career up to this point, what have been some highlights or some moments that stick out to you? And you know, sometimes it is those low points where you're kind of without a job and and you got to really scrape and scramble and, and try to hustle and, and, and get something. Um, so just talk about maybe some highlights uh, from your career up to this point. Uh, to be honest with you, out of all the colleges that I've been to, including this one, they were really losing programs. So I've really been talking these last couple, uh, maybe last couple weeks or just maybe after the season's over, just a lot of my coaching buddies that I work with. Every place that I've been to, we got better when the new staff got there or when when we and me and Coach Deason got there or uh, another guy that coached in high school right now, Coach Scotty Yates. So what I'm most proud about is, yeah, the championships, they do help and, and it do, does make you feel good. But everything from East Central, everything from Commerce, I'm writing it down, I just want to get my mind right, Incarnate Word, Texas Southern, those are four colleges that as soon as I got there, we just started to build it and it got better. And I think that's the key. And I think every place you leave, you need to leave it better than what you uh, you found it. I think that's kind of the saying. So the thing I take pride is that everywhere I've been, the staff I've been a part of, we got better every single year we were there and we actually ended up winning. Like we won five games this year at Texas Southern. They ain't done that in, I want to say, over 10 years. And we had a, a great defense compared to what it was in the past. And yeah, I, I want to say I've been a part of it a little bit, but I think that's the thing I take more pride in and that's one of the things I like coaching because you get players better from year to year. So actually, I take more pride in seeing the program do better and the players do better sometimes rather than a win and loss, even though we get judged off winning losses. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when you get to a program and it's down, or maybe they don't have that that winning culture, that history of winning, what are some things that that you did specifically, or maybe the coaches you're with, the coaching staff you're a part of, that you did to inject or infuse some life into that program, some energy, enthusiasm, belief? What were some things you guys did to get that going, get the ball rolling there? Um, to talk about the staff everywhere I've been, I will kind of say that everywhere I've been a part of, we were young and we were hungry and we were workers. And I think that's what separates you. And then as um, like as I got to each program in my fourth one now, then I think experience took over. So an example would be Coach Deason left from East Central to Commerce to UIW. I think his experience at all those places and everywhere we've been didn't have anything. That's why actually I gave a, a Zoom call and, and something like this a month ago in December. Like I actually respect coaches more when they do more with less that's why even like high school coaches because you, you can't recruit even though i guess some of them do but um you have to do so much more with less so i actually respect coaches who come from the bottom up from d3 d2 jc or fcs and they move up g5 and the power five because you don't have that much so you have to find different uh ways you have to evaluate different you got to coach different um you just have to do things a lot different so i think as a person who's just being hungry and working and then as I got older and older, then I think it's experience. Like, you'll see a lot of guys get hired, and you're like, man, he don't have no experience at it. And then sometimes they struggle. I'm not saying that a non-experienced guy can't have success, but I do think experience matters. I mean, I'm 37 years old. I'm almost 38. So I do take pride in recruiting a long time, been in Texas for a while, DB play. So I do take pride in some of the things I've done, but I think that just goes with experience. So I just say young, hungry, then as you get older, you're no longer young and hungry. You have to use your experience with it. So I think that's the kicker from the jumpstart everywhere I've been. It's been a part of it. Same thing going for this year when we won those games. Yeah, it's like when you're young, you're 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 uh, kind of, I guess, perfecting your recipe or your system yep. for how you're going to do things. And, okay, this works, so let's keep that. Well, this didn't work, let's throw that out. Or I picked this up from a co- talking to a coach or a clinic or whatever. And then once you kind of get that formula, that system down now, like you said, that thing travels with you and mm-hmm. and, and the proof is in the pudding. You got skins on the wall and, and wins and championships to show to show for it. And so then that, that that buy-in becomes easier. So I can see where, you know, that would that would take over. So that's great advice to me for young coaches. If I'm a young coach, like I better I better be energetic. I better be hardworking because obviously you're not going to know it all. There's a lot of stuff you won't know, but. Like we tell our guys, hard work and effort overcompensates for a lot of mistakes. And then, oh, yeah. um, I, and then, and now we're—I mean—and you and I are similar in age. You get to a point where um, you kind of have it down what you like to do and what works. But it's also now to the—it's—it's it's, it's a challenge of not staying stale, but staying fresh and reevaluating what you're doing. Now that 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 you are a, an established coach and you got you got things rolling a little bit when it comes to walking into. I knew your position room like this. You walked into a brand new position room, at Texas Southern uh, last winter. And, you know, just with you specifically, like when it comes to introducing yourself to your guys and getting to know them, what are some things you do to create belief and buy in with with your position group? Since uh, I had to do it a little bit different. So I kind of said like maybe five, 10 minutes ago was like everywhere I've gone has been. I can't say just completely throw them under the bus and say a bad program, but they've been a struggle especially at the position that I'm coaching. So really the first thing I do when I get there, I, 
I, I kind of come in a little bit different. I kind of come in hot, like, hey, man, you got to do it this way. I've had success this way. So I've actually, I kind of come in really hot and aggressive because they haven't had success at it. So I, if I, an example would be like, if I went to Georgia, who just won the national championship, I can't come in and be like, do it my way or the highway. They're going to look at me like, coach, we just won back-to-back national championships. Whatever we're doing is working. So you just got to fall in line with us. That's what Nick Saban, like, Every time a coach leaves, they bring a new coach in and they just run the same terminology. I was talking to somebody else about that. Like, everything's still the same. So, really, I think you have to do more when you go to a place that's been struggling. So, really, you, you got to kind of come in there with a little bit of, like, whatever you guys have done is not working. So, let's try it my way. Then, when you get there, they try it your way. And if they're struggling, they're having success, then that's when the relationship comes in. And then that's when they're, okay, let, let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. So, I come in a little bit different. I come in very hot and aggressive. And I'm probably – players probably don't like it. I know they don't. I know some coaches that don't like me in the profession because I'm very blunt, direct, and I kind of just tell it for what it is. And it's just – it's right in your face. And, and if you can't handle it, normally those guys don't pan out player-wise. But I kind of come in opposite of where everybody else does. Like, I know you're supposed to come in humble. But there's a reason why you got hired there to fix the problem or help the situation. So I kind of come in hot and aggressive, which – Again, in this profession, they say probably don't do, but I, I kind of have to because where I'm going, they're just been struggling a little bit. So I have to kind of come in hot. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that that's exactly the right approach, especially in the situation that that you're talking about joining. You know, um, you know, being able to read the room, like you said, going to Georgia, that would probably not be a wise yeah. approach, obviously. Yeah. But um, I think, too, you know, we talk about all the time and hear all the time that, that players take on the personality of their coach. And, and so obviously those guys, when you when you step into that room, they're probably not a confident group of guys. You know, they've been beat down, probably told they're no good, have bought into that some. So they need someone coming in who's who's got an attitude, got an edge to them that is going to infuse that same mentality into them. And then and then that that potential can be unlocked within that room. Right. I agree with you. Well, let's uh, let's let's dive into some some, some cornerback play specifically. Now, I, I do want to give credit to uh, we have some have some guys who are who are faithful listeners to the show who helped me out with these questions tonight, um, and so we're just going to kind of work through these and talk about it a little bit. Um, beginning with, all right, coach. So I've never coached um, I've never coached corners in my life. So um, walk me through. But one of the questions when I have uh, D line coaches or linebacker coaches on here is. Uh, one thing that I like talking to them about is their coaching progression. You know, like walk me through your coaching progression. So talk to us about your your coverage progression. Like what coverages are you coaching first? You, know, you get to Texas Southern. What do you what, what's the coverage that you're coaching first? And you know, what's your process for teaching and implementing those coverages? Uh, it's a good question, because I think when people go into interviews and, and it kind of goes into well, they're like, well, walk me through your progression of how you teach. Sometimes the problem is, is that. If I'm interviewing for a job, they already kind of have what they want. Only thing they want to know is, are you, uh, can you comprehend the position? So I think it's a little weird. So I'll give you a prime example. The, uh, Coach Deese, the defensive coordinator I've been with, we come from the uh, tree of zone eyes. So we don't do the reroute stuff. We, it's like old school NFL ball. Like you drop to a spot and you read the quarterback and you break on the ball. So I've been under that tree for a while now and actually for I just did a clinic uh last weekend for 10 years in a row in the conference of where I've been at D2 and FCS we've led interceptions every single year in the conference and we've been top five probably eight out of ten years in a row nationwide interceptions so 
really when I came into Texas Southern, we kind of changed our defense. We, you know, everybody's a four down, four, three, four, two, five. It's all really the same thing. But we changed it from a three down to a three high. So really you're dropping eight every time. So when I first got there, one of the main progressions that we, we went over was cover two. So with that being said, I knew that was going to be the lead call. So how do you play cover two? Well, I'm a big believer in reading the quarterback and intercepting the ball and reading his three steps because everybody's in the gun. So the first thing I did was tell them to play off about seven to eight yards and their eyes are on the quarterback the whole time. And then I trained them how I want them to move from square, shuffle stance, and just kind of kind of being, a, I would call it just being a football-ready position. So that was the first thing I did when I got there because I knew we were going to be a high zone team. So I taught them progression-wise is playing off and not rerouting. See, a lot of people, when they play cover two, it's they reroute, then they get their eyes on the quarterback. Well, I've had so much success doing the same thing in our defense zone-wise, I don't reroute. So the only thing they're doing is reading the quarterback and reading his shoulders and his steps. So an example would be if they're in the gun, they get the ball, and you've seen all the time on offense, the quarterback whips his shoulder here for a quick game, a hitch, a slant, or a bubble. I'm telling my guy to break quickly on it. So that's the first thing that I got there. And we're going to be aggressive and we're going to intercept the ball in zone coverage, which a lot of teams don't do as much nowadays. Then the next phase was if they don't throw a quick game, if there's not quick and he doesn't drop back, then that's when you sink. And then you just kind of play like a lot of people say you got to go to a landmark at corner, but I don't. I just tell them to keep sinking back and let the routes develop. So I'll give you a prime example. When I was giving my clinic, let's say the offense goes empty, five wide, three by two. If the quarter, if the receivers, all five of them go verticals, because everybody on offense is like, we're just going to go vertical. So they all five went vertical, and the quarterback was in the gun. He got the ball, and his feet stopped, and his shoulders go here. He's probably going to throw the ball, and my corner's going to drive on it, even though the receivers are running vertical, because the quarterback, they might, have the, they might have miscommunication. The whole point that I'm trying to say is that the quarterback can't give you quick game footwork, like right here, and then everybody run vertical. It doesn't happen that way. So the first thing I went through my progression was how to read the quarterback in a cover two system. And then after I got them to be aggressive and jumping routes, jumping hitches, slants and bubbles and flares, then I went to the progression of what's the, what's the combination two by two, three by one, you know, spread teams, are they doing matches? I kind of went to the progression of how to read the quarterback in zone. Then as the formation and the drops dictate some of those routes. Then when I got there after the zone part, which is the most difficult, because when you play man coverage, it's all about can the guy run and can he cover and is he athletic? Then I brought over the man aggressiveness was more of a starting from press. And I'm not a big fan. And it might be a question later on, like some guys teach the motor technique where they're going backwards. Well, I teach uh, the NFL calls it like a six inch step or a hard. So everything I do is based on the receiver. So when they move, I move. And then I just work laterally, I mean lateral, and I step and punch. So really what I brought was how to prog- how do you read the quarterback in the zone system from cover two, and cover three is a little easier because you're always going to be deep. But the mindset was teach how to read the quarterback, understand what the offense is trying to attack you with. Then I brought the aggressive man from press man. And then the last thing I brought was over, let's play some off-man catch technique, and let's be aggressive on reading the receiver. If he's going full speed, we're going to play vertical. If he comes out slow and he's trying to do all the juke moves and run a quick game, then I'm going to go drive on like a madman. So I think what I brought to the table progression-wise was how to read the quarterback first because I already knew what system 
we were going to run because I asked that question before I got the job. So if I ever interviewed for a job, I'm going to ask it first. It's going to be weird. Like, I'm going to say, well, what type of style of defense do you want to have or what type of style of defense you want? And then I can just really I can I, I think I've been doing it long enough where I can just whenever they give me their answer, I can teach right off it. Because if they say we're just going to be a press man team, then I'm going to go through my press man progressions. If you want to be a zone off team, I'm going to go through my progressions, which that's what it was at Texas Southern. So I knew kind of had the cheat code is what I'm saying. Read the quarterback, read the offensive style, what kind of routes we're going to do, read the quarterback. And then we got the man, started from press, and then we played off. I know it's probably not the exact answer that you may no. want, but I kind of sequence of is what I knew I was going to do. Yeah, I mean, it's the same, just to kind of, I guess, to kind of put it in um, defensive line, linebacker terms, you know, I, I came from a 4-3 to a three, four. And it's like, okay, I mean, that's, that's fine. Just kind of tell me how we're, tell me this and this and this, how we're going to, are we spilling? Are we boxing? You know, what's mm -hmm. our, what's our, okay. All right. Then cool. Then I can work through kind of like what you talked about. Here's my, I, I can take what I, what I have and, and tailor it to this specific scheme. It's not like okay. I have to go back and reinvent the wheel here. So you're talking okay. about reading the quarterback, which for me, um, you know, that's probably where if I'm just if I'm just thinking that's where those their eyes want to be anyway. So it's like, why fight it? You know, um, and that's it's the same thing with linebackers. Some some guys teach our linebackers to, to, to get their eyes on the quarterback, read the quarterback. Um, so when you are reading the quarterback uh, in cover two and you're not jamming the receiver, um, how do you, I guess, buy the time, buy some time for the safety to get over the top to cover the whole shot? So good question. So what me and the defensive coordinator found out, so I'll give you a prime example. So I said it again at the clinic. Let's give me a, just a normal two-by-two two formation. And let's say the running back is weak, okay, to the field. Let's just say they want to throw the whole shot. I'm going to give you the most difficult first. They want to throw the whole shot to the field. So let's say the two receivers go vertical. Well, once the quarterback gives me his drop footwork, and I know he's going backwards, and the receivers, you can just naturally see the quarterback and you see receivers. So when they're going vertical and they kind of run past me, I tell the corner, really the quarterback's going to take you to the play. And what I mean by that is if you want all verticals, I'm telling the corner to keep on sinking all the way. So not only is the safety going to be over the top and he can play it, I'm going to help cushion the throw. So when they throw the ball in the whole shot, my corner should be underneath it. So if he underthrows it, it should be a pick or at least a jump pass breakup. And there should be a safety over the top. So really what I tell them is that if you don't get quick game, then you're sinking. So I'll give you a prime example. So let's say they go vertical of one. Number one, two by two, just face. Number one goes vertical. Number two runs like a 12-yard a a deep out. Well, as I'm telling my corner, as he's sinking back, he should see the quarterback's shoulders turn and got his intentions. I say read the quarterback's intentions. He should see the shoulders breaking trying to throw the out route. And I'm going to tell my corner to come off and jump the out route and pick it. And I've done it before. So really what I tell them is that if you get all verticals, you're going to help the safety by just playing like it's cover two. But when you get all verticals, I'm telling them to play like cover three. Sometimes they, sometimes they're over the top with number one because they already kind of know what they're doing. So my teaching is a little bit different. It's probably a little awkward. People are going to be like, that's impossible to do it. But I got film and evidence that show that the, the damn thing works because I'm telling them everything is based on what they're seeing. So if you're getting all verticals, and they're going to say, well, if the running back flares to the flat, well, the quarterback sometimes doesn't even acknowledge the flat. And sometimes in a defense, when you're zone dropping and you're dropping everybody back, you want them to throw the ball to the running back. That's when you got to teach tackling. You got to teach swarming. We call it a kickoff drill. Or they do that. Everybody just forming to the ball carry. So there's a belief on, like, 
I tell the guys all the time, if the quarterback is looking here and you're backside, you really, you don't have to be that, you don't have to do that much where you can just squeeze over, but all I'm trying to say is that quarterback is going to tell you where it's got to be. If Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, if you watch the film all the time, if they can throw interceptions and they're looking right at where they got to throw, then so does the FCS and G5 and Power 5 quarterbacks. I know they're really good and I know they got great ball placement, but they have to look where they're throwing the ball, I guess, besides Patrick Mahomes a few times. But they have to look where they're throwing the ball. So if you can teach the guys what type of routes they'll get, and they can just see it. Like, I think naturally as a football player, I try to teach uh, – I always, I always mess up the word. What's the word? Like, uh, you can see through your um, – Your peripheral. Visual. Peripheral. Yeah. Exactly. You have to see the quarterback, and you can – sometimes as you're sinking, you can see the routes a little bit. You can feel them out. But the, quarter shoulder, the quarterback shoulders are going to tell you where you got to go. So bottom line, they all go vertical. We're going to sink, and we're going to keep on going back up into the throat, and we should be there. So then with, with the corner, court, corner's eyes on the quarterback, is he making, you know, if, if number one makes an end cut, like is he making China calls, end calls, things yeah. like that? Or I've done sometimes a poor job of uh, acknowledging that, but I do think you have to naturally say he's going in. But if remember, if you're a big zone team, like one guy goes out of your zone area, he's going to go into somebody else's. So naturally, I think everybody should have like distribution, good space, and should be able to see it. But you are right. Like, this should do more in-calls. I'll probably do more in-calls on the red zone, 20 and in. Open field, I don't do it as much. I probably should. But when it comes to 20 and in, because you get more crosses, you get more you get more bang-bang, then that's when I say give the in-calls. But for the most part, you know, naturally they should, but sometimes they don't. And it's okay. So you got, you know, you got your zone coverage. You got cover two, and I think you mentioned cover three. Do you guys run any uh, cover four, or, or are you – from the, I, I, I was raised in a system where they do a lot of quarters, cover four, and then they do a lot of the two palms, two read. Well, my belief is that, you know, when two breaks out before five yards, the corner has to drive on two and the safety goes to one. I've done that. We did it a little bit at the end of the season. My only deal is that if that comes up being man and it turns in the zone, I'm not a big fan of that. And here's the reason why. Because when two breaks out and the corner's reading him, and he drives to the receiver, most likely he ain't getting an interception. Like when you watch our DB tape, uh, PV throws the interception uh, out route to the field. I, I just think my guy, if he reads two, he's going to drive on two, but he don't see the ball. So therefore he can't pick the ball. So I actually, you know, we come from the system. We change a little bit. So you can run quarters and just take number one man all the way, unless he runs a shallow. You got man on the shallow. So we have a variation like everybody does. A, you run cover four with, the two read concept, the two palms, you read two. If two goes vertical, then the corner man's one. So that you still have some of that same principles in there. But I also just kind of like, hey, man, if we're just going to go man, let's just go man. So it's pretty much cover zero with no pressure, which sometimes is bad. But number one, you got number one man all the way. Who cares about reading two? So there's different ways to skin a cat. I've done both of them. So we do run a little bit of quarters. I think at the end of the day, when everybody asks you, what do you do? I think everybody does a little bit of everything. Like when the recruits are like, well, what do you do on defense? I'm like, listen, you're going to play man, and you're going to play some cover two, cover three, some quarters. Real simple. So really, you're doing everything the same as you do every program. I'm just going to teach you in a different way than maybe the other school will. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. So how many how many coverage do you think you, will you guys carry into a game? Is that is that it's the same every week, or it's dependent upon game plan? What's that look like? You know, honestly, I would probably say – you know, it varies, but you never want to add too much. The only thing I think changes maybe week to week or every couple of weeks is that you tweak the coverage. And then as you get deep into the season, I think it's more about the sky. So I said a comment like I'm going to teach you to read the quarterback. 
Well, I think some of the most simplest disguises is that, so we're playing man coverage. My eyes are going to be on the quarterback. Then when the ball is snapped, we're going to go right to the man. And then it's the opposite. So if it's a, uh, if it's a zone coverage, I might tell them to look at the receiver number one. And then when the ball snaps, eyes go to the quarterback. Sometimes those two simple things that I just gave helps out dramatically because the offense is looking at your eyes and what are you looking at? So they might think you're in zone call because you're looking at the quarterback. As soon as the ball snaps, eyes go right to one. So I think the littlest disguises are tremendous, and it actually did help us out. And we got to a point, too, a little nugget. Someone's going to steal on offense. But if you just point dudes out, I got a man, they think you got a man. You play zone. So there's so many things I think you can do when it happened in the NFL a couple games ago where I think it was the Chargers, even though they lost, they were showing uh, man-free cover one, uh, Nick Saban stuff, like rat in the hole, like a safety in the low hole. They were showing man coverage. The offense went in motion because they want to know if you're a man. The guy went in motion, and then when the ball snapped, they just played cover two. So I think teams, on it takes a lot of coaching, a lot of teaching. But when people run with defenders, offense thinks it's man. And really, you can still play zone behind it, but you have to make sure you're the right zone dropper. So there's a lot more detailed in coaching and teaching than that. Because think about it like this. If you're the hook curl, let's say you're the hook curl guy to the field and you follow to the boundary of motion, someone's going to have to slide and move and act like you're playing a man. Then you got to play weak hook curl. So there's a lot of advanced teaching in it, but the NFL clearly has all the time in the world because that's all they do as a job. So I think there's just more ways to disguise it on defense because that's what it's about. Defense is all about giving you a pitcher, and then when it's uh, pre-snap, and then when it's post-snap, changing it up. So I think it's all about just disguising and moving around on defense. And the same thing goes, I know you just had Joe Price on there, and I've known Joe Price for a long time. It's the same way on offense when they're like, the corner's inside leverage, run this route. Well, sometimes you can start inside leverage when the ball snap, move to outside leverage, just to make that receiver think and the offense think. So it's really about just doing different things to confuse and challenge the offense. You kind of touched on it there, talking about motion and things. So um, what are your adjustments to well, – I'll just start here first with just about three-by-one sets. Like um, any adjustments there or, or things that you guys will do differently uh, if you get – when you're getting trips uh, to the field, and then we can talk trips into the boundary too. Yeah, I think the number one thing is uh, when you get trips to the field, that's real generic. If we're in cover two, now the corner's in the run fit. He has a C-gap if it's one receiver. I think where teams do a good job on offense, and, and I think it messes up everybody on defense, is when teams go three receivers to the boundary, which everybody calls it. We used to call it FSL, but now it's we call it FIB, so formation into the boundary. I think that actually gets teams on defense because you have a couple options. You know, everybody has an overhang to the field. You can either – push everybody to the boundary, and then your overhang is going to have to be in the box. He's got to be in the gap. And then maybe your safety comes down and has the outside gap. Or you really don't push everybody over and you just be more aggressive. Not more aggressive, but you're kind of outnumbered to the boundary. So I think there's definitely different things. We had a check where, like, if they want FIB formation to the boundary, we would just check cover two to that side and kind of have that wheel line back at the corner. And uh, we actually, since we're in a three-high system, we would actually drop – uh, that boundary safety, uh, we would kick the wheel in actually and drop the boundary safety and have the cat come over and play uh, his half to the boundary. And then we would leave the corner by himself to the field. So there's a lot of ways I think the offense do a good job. And that's why it's so challenging on defense to coach it consistently week in and week out. That's why like the teams out of Georgia do an amazing job it's because you're getting challenged on defense so much because it's all about the numbers. So you have a couple options. You can push everybody to the boundary. you got to have that overhang or safety in the box. Sometimes that's not the best thing and offense knows that. So I think we've done a little bit of everything. Clearly, if you're in man, just line up. That's a little bit easier. But zone, sometimes I think 
can maybe challenge you. It just depends on your philosophy. I think we did a little bit of everything from kicking everybody over or maybe even traveling the overhang over to the boundary. So there's a couple things I think we've done uh, that either helped and didn't help. But there's a we did just have one kind of alert check, whatever the call was. We just did do cover two to the boundary and isolated the backside corners by himself. The free, uh, the field safety would end up actually playing the outside gap, but he would start high. So there's a couple of things you can do. Um, again, there's different ways of skinning cat. It just depends on how you believe in it. I guess you would say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, when, when we see, we see formation boundary a lot um, and teams are either seeing, are you going to over adjust? Correct. Right. You know, and then leave yourself vulnerable to the field or are you not going to adjust enough and and then now they can run their quick games over into the boundary or um you know outrun you or outnumber you in the run game to that to that side. Um and so I think that's that's the thing is is not overreacting to it, but also having being sound to that and having some quick answers there um for when they do get into that. Um what about nub sets with your corners? So um whether they motion toward or they come out and how you guys handle those. You know, I, I we, we had a meeting about this. I actually love it when offenses go nub. Because what I do, even if it's cover two or cover three, you know, I kind of tell the corner to play it the same way. I mean, you can have your safety. We used to do a thing at my other programs. We would talk, we would call it like a read cloud. So we would have the safety in reality line up like 10 yards inside the tight end, and he would be aggressive in the run fit. Sometimes we'd give him a gap. Sometimes we didn't. But either way, you look at it, he's fit where needed. And then I would tell the corner to actually play a little aggressive you know, I, the linemen's change, but I would actually add him and I would tell him to read the tight end. I'll give you an example. Like, so if the tight end blocks down, I'm telling him to fit it, which means he would box it. And You know what I'm saying? Like, so I would, I, I actually like it when teams go nubside. And even the pass game concept, I don't think they do that much. So like, even if the tight end want, did like a seven route, a corner, that's okay. Because even if the safety's out leverage, I'm even drawing on myself. I'm going to tell the corner to sink underneath that corner, right? He should be able to pick it off. So, I actually like it when teams go nub side because I'm going to bonus the safety and I'm going to bonus the corner. I like to be aggressive to it. And even if never, if they're doing uh, the nub side, they run uh, three people to the to the field, you know, they're going to run that three bender. But that is the beauty of a three high system. You can cover a lot of things. You might be weak in the run a little bit, but if you got some big D, uh, D linemen that can, you know, shoot the B gap, be aggressive and play the A gap, we have to know it's always do different things. So I think um, – you can bonus it. So I actually like it when teams go nubside because I think it limits their passing game just a little bit. And this is not the NFL where we're going against um, Travis Kelsey and stuff. This is college and high school. Like those tight ends ain't really tight ends. They're they're not blocking. They're just they're just kind of there. So you know it, it can confuse you. But I like I like it when teams go. To be honest with you. So then you know there there's always those those route combinations that you know really stress that can stress you out or kind of. Make you like, oh crap, we got to deal with this. We got this coming up this week, or this team likes to run this. So what what are some of those? And you can just be, you know, generally speaking, that that tend to give you um give you some issues or present some issues with the things that you with, with the things that you do. And how do you prepare your guys for those uh during a during a game week? Yeah, you know, I think I, I said it in our staff meeting, I've been saying it for years. Like I think anytime you play zone, it don't matter what team and system you're at. When if the offense and Sean McVay did it for a long time, I think he still does it, but it's big in the NFL now with 49ers. It's like whenever you run deep switches and deep crosses, you're you're forcing zone defenders to pick an area and be where they gotta be at. And you're exposing them because they gotta get uh, they gotta get some depth. So I think and I I I listened, I actually read a thing on Sean McVay 
he used to sit in the defensive staff meeting rooms and he would know the defensive rules. So honestly, I think that's important. And now maybe I have to sit in some offensive meeting rooms. I've been going against it seemed like the same style forever, but sometimes real predictable on offense, even though they're like supposed to be so great OCs, I guess. But some of the things, if you know the defensive rules, like I told you about, we're going to zone drop, we're going to read the quarterback. But whenever you get deep crossers, switches, play fakes, you're just putting defenders in a bind. And that's where in the NFL, like even in college, like when people are motioning, if they start formation to the boundary, then they motion to the field. You're, you're, you're forcing people to move and slide and maybe have a gap and they got to move the gap. So I think the thing that's challenging, even in quarters, like just anything that's a, a deep switch post corner, or even if you high low, but you got a couple high lows going on, like Sean McVay does this thing where they like play fake it. The tight end from the field will like do like a little deep wheel to the boundary and up the field. And he's always open. So I think anything that has deep crossers, Deep switches, of course, you double moves, one-on-ones, and man coverage is always, you know, it's sometimes challenging. Um, or just the, the pump and go in zone because everyone's jumping up. So I think those things cause defense to think. And I think if you can make defensive teams, that the, the really good defenses like Georgia, they know how to adjust. They know how to think on the fly. So they got answers, but they know how to move and they know where to be and where not to be. So I think those cause defensive issues personally. That's just my belief. When you get something like that, I mean, do you just have your guys say, hey, when you're when you're not sure, keep getting depth, keep getting depth because Yeah. Yeah, I come from the tree, just keep getting depth because the more depth you get, they're gonna still try to throw it over your head. And yeah, they can throw it in front of you. And, and you know, there's a couple of things like that. Hopefully they don't have all day to throw, but I'm a big believer. If you just get depth, worst case scenario, if they throw the ball you can at least jump up and get your hand on it. All you're doing on defense is trying to make it challenging for the offense. So I think you just put yourself in a good position if you just keep getting depth. And even if they make a good pitch and throw, that's okay. As long as you're in the window and you're, you're, you're making it hard for the offense, I think that is the key. Continue to make it hard for the offense because – and you can at least hang your hat and say, man, we made them work. You know, they score some points. Everybody in college gets yards. I mean, Alabama – it's giving up 60 points. I mean, everybody gives up a lot of points, even though you don't want to. But you're going to give up yards. It's all about the red zone, third down defense. Can you tackle some turnovers? So there's a couple stats on defense that I think are key from red zone defense, third down defense, uh, interceptions, anything that you can create a turnover. I think those are the key points per game um, I think are very important. Everything else is eh, kind of irrelevant, I think. just I know everybody's, oh, you're giving up 500 yards a game. Well, everybody is. I mean, really, at the end of the day. So you're going to give up yards. Are you giving up points? Are you giving up red zone touchdowns? Are you giving up every third down possible? Are you creating turnovers? We were number one in the conference in the SWAC, and we were number five in the whole country in turnovers. So I think that's saying something. You, you kind of mentioned it there, and so I'll ask you about it now. How does the, the mentality or coaching change when uh, you do get into the red zone? Um, with what you guys are doing on defense, is does is anything change as far as footwork or alignment or eye discipline, anything like that? Uh, everything just happens faster, and you got to be stingier. So we did really have good red zone defense. I think we were number one or two in the conference. I got to go back and check that stat, but we were like, I want to say we were top ten nationally. I got to double check it, but we were pretty good in red zone defense. I think just everything kind of tightened up. We did get some fumbles and we did get some odd things and turnovers, but. I think everything tightens up. I think everything happens faster. You can only run so many concepts, 20 and in. So, you know, you're very limited on concepts. 
So you just can't do everything. So I do think red zone defense is huge because if you just hold them to three points, oh man, you're you're putting yourself in a great position. So I don't know if we necessarily changed through my whole course of coaching, but we did do some things and we just tightened up and we just kind of told the the defense, you know, they don't have much, they can't go that far. They got 20 yards or whatever, so they can't just run by by you, you know, as far as just, you know, running an 80-yard route. So I think everything just tightens up. That's why an offense, like, there's a good red zone offensive stat. It's, it's important to have a good stat because scoring inside the red zone, you're probably winning games. If not, then you're losing games. Well, now I want you to uh, pretend you're a high school football coach where, you know, a lot of times, at least where I'm at, you know, it, well, where I'm at, we're, we're um, we're split practices, so we're we're half of our practice is offense, half of it is defense. You know, the, I've been at bigger schools where you have your guys the whole time, and that's awesome. Um, but if I'm a or if you're a cornerbacks coach uh, at a high, at a high school, and let's say you have on average about 15 minutes of individual a day, how are you how are you filling that time? How are you mapping out that time to be as efficient as possible with your guys? So. You know, I do it a little bit different in Indy. I used to be a big indie guy. I used to be just do drills and do drills, and I got older and realized it doesn't work no more. So really through the course, of like uh, if it's camp, then I'd normally do techniques of the day, and we focus on what we're doing that day. So that goes on a daily process. And then when the season starts, I normally focus my indie on a lot of the same things that maybe I did in camp. It's just a narrow. Like, so if I knew we were going into a game, and I knew we were playing a lot of man, that I'm going to do a lot more man drills. I'll still sprinkle some zone stuff. So I just try to focus on what we're going to do the most of. That way you kind of cover yourself and kind of what it is. But um, I do a lot of ball drills. So that's one thing I take pride in in coaching is intercepting the ball and and maybe recruiting guys that, um, that have ball skills because I think that's important. Um, so I kind of teach them, and me and my linebacker coach talk about it all the time. He played at U of H, played in the league. He's a good dude. I'm teaching them how to make plays. A lot of coaches just teach them their system. But what does that mean? Like, okay, your system is great. Like, yeah, you got to drop here. You got to look at here, blah, blah, blah. But we try to teach more within the defense how to make plays. So that's what we just talked about 20 minutes ago in cover two. I'm telling that guy to read the quarterback. I can give you clips all day about guys picking stuff off because I'm teaching them how to make a play within that coverage. And then I teach them how to make a play in cover three when you're deep and you're reading two. If it goes vertical, number one sits it down, you got to overlap number two. So I think I take pride in how uh, to go back to teach these players how to make plays in zone. And then when it comes to man, I'm teaching them to be there with the receiver to make it difficult for him to catch the ball. So I think I just have to go to in the indie. I'm trying to focus on them how to make a play in whatever we're working that day, how to play good press man, how to be there. That's what we're working on. Simple. You do some ball drills, but you just kind of focus on that. So there's a couple of things I try to focus on. So I, I don't change it every day. I got some everyday drills, but I try to just focus on what I think we're going to get through that week, if that makes any sense. I, uh, I think that, that the trap that we can get into is kind of like what you talked about earlier is especially when you're young, as you find some drills that you like, whether you found them online or you picked them up at a clinic and you want to rep those drills. And then, Absolutely. you know, it's uh, it's kind of like, well, what, what is, this, how does this really fit into what we're trying to do? Um, but when you say you're teaching, you know, I'm teaching my guys how to make plays. What does that look like? Is it talking to them about how to anticipate a ball coming out or 
or getting in position, playing a guy's eyes or playing his hands? Like, what are some things specifically that you're telling them to help them do that? Uh, you know, in zone, I'm teaching them to break. So, and, and really any zone call, it doesn't matter if it's cover two, cover three. I'll just be generic with that. I'm teaching them how to break on the ball, not necessarily the player. So that's number one. I think that's where the interceptions are always coming in because I'm telling them, I'm, I'm also telling them, let's be aggressive. So you, you said it, I think, 30 minutes ago. We're like, yeah, sometimes the players do take over their coaching, their personality, how they play. Of course, if he messes up all the time, I don't think coaches just go out there and say, blow me penalties all day. Like, they don't do that. But I do think anytime you watch my guys, they're playing fast. They don't think as much. They're just going and reacting. So I think, and you always hear a defensive coordinator come and say, we're going to keep the scene sim simple. He's lying to you because he wants to be a genius. That's how he got the job. So really what I do is I have very, I have some rules, but they're not like 25 million rules. Because if you have the kid out there thinking the whole time, he ain't making no plays. So I really just tell my guys, whatever you're doing, I want you to react what you see from the quarterback, react to the receiver if you're playing man, and just do it. Don't think. Whenever you think too much, you're not going to make plays. So I think when you go through all my DB tapes that I've ever had, if you just watch them, you're going to see guys playing fast, physical, and just running. So really, I tell them, don't overthink it. Just see. You got the quarterback. What's he doing? He takes it to the play. Boom, there you go. Ain't much else coaching points to it. So I do think you can overcoach it. But if you want to break it, break it down. If it's man, I'm telling him to look at the receiver. If he's running a vertical route, then I want him to run. And then when he looks back for the ball deep down the field, I want to look back for the ball. So I'll give you a prime example. So the number one route we get in press coverage is what you think. Like, what is the number one route you think you see at any level when you're playing press man? A go route, a fade. Exactly. So... I have a belief, and this is not a you got to do it or you don't got to do it, but this is just my belief. So I play – I haven't played inside leverage in probably 10 years. So if you just said – and I have a study of it, like all the routes. If you just told me the number one route that you're going to get impressed is outside release, fade, here you go. Well, I'm playing a shade outside leverage or worst case, head up leverage, and I'm stepping with my outside foot. So when you run your outside route, I naturally should be on top of the route. So actually, I'm just running the route for you. I'm going to slide my feet, like I said earlier. I'm going to get a two-hand jam, which not a lot of people do. I like two-hand jam. It's like I'm pretty much having a cover two mindset as reroute, slide your feet, punch. But I just put that same mentality in man coverage. And I'm already shade outside leverage. So I'm making the receiver bubble even wider. So I just said it five minutes ago. All I want to do is make the receiver work. So if the number one route, you run in the fade, I'm on my outside leverage, you run a fade, I should be on top of the fade. Worst case scenario, I should get you a wide enough to where you're damn near out of bounds. So I'll put myself, and I tell the players, you know, what do you get? You get in the fade route. You already know what route you're going to get. I'm putting you in position to make the play already. Now that's when the athletic ability takes over. Then that's when, you know, there's not much you can do about that. But, like, I'm trying to give them the key to the city. Like, if that makes, like, I'm trying to give them keys to the test or the answer to the test. You playing press, you know they're getting fade, play outside leverage. If you're to the field, they have a sometimes even with the wide split, they still run a fade. So, you know, if they run an inside route, then we're gonna undercut it. It's real simple, real simple rules. Like I have rules, but it's simple. If you're playing outside leverage or you're playing head up leverage and they run an inside route and you happen to be on top of the route, stay on top of the route. If you are 
and he runs an inside route, and you happen to be even with him, then I want you to slip the hip, undercut him, because they're going to run an inside route for the most part. So I keep it simple. So I don't, I give them rules, but it ain't like they got to think too much. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned teaching a two hand jam. Um, yep. wh where does that come from as opposed to, you know, the stat, you know, stabbing with one arm and, you know, outside arm, inside arm, whatever it yep. is. Uh, uh, talk about that. I just changed it. I'm not sure if I was watching somebody or I saw the Seahawks do it back when they were really good. I just figured if I have good, clean footwork, if I'm sliding one time over, and I can get a two-hand jam. A two-hand jam is stronger than a one-hand jam, I would think. So, and I learned it actually when I was interviewing for the Chiefs last year. I didn't get the job. It was just going to be a QC job. But he made a good point. He was like, we teach everything from a two-hand jam also. It just kind of confirmed what I was. I thought I was doing right. And I was like, why do that? He was like, well, you got to think about it. In the NFL, you can only touch it for five yards. So you might as well try to be as most aggressive as you can. So my belief is that if you can slide your feet mirror the receiver the best you can and you can get two hands on the chest or the shoulder that I teach two, one, let's go. So I'm getting a two hand jam. Then I'm trying to get the one hand and then I'm putting it down. So I work two, one, none, two, one, oh, triangle uh, toughness, UTSA. Joe Price knows all about that. Boom. Tell bam. Bam. So it's the same thing. So I teach two, one, get down. So again, it's, you know, if they don't get two hands, if I'll give you an example. Let's say they get two hands on, but the footwork is not the way I want it. I'm okay with that because they got their hands on. They're making it challenging for the receiver. Only thing receiver guys do, I don't know if Joe talked about it, but all the receivers are trying to do, they want to move you. That's why I don't believe in the motor. Like when you're going backwards and you're mirroring them because they want to move you. They want to, they want to get on your toes. So if I don't move, he might run right to me. So he's got to do more dancing. So. Again, that's a core belief of mine. Not everybody believes that, but I do. Less movement is more. To be aggressive, punch, let's go. We're going to – I do want to make sure that we talk about uh, – talk some recruiting kind of like we did with, with Joe last in our last episode. Just because for, you know, a lot of high school coaches listen to this and recruiting is kind of on the forefront of everybody's mind right now as you guys are getting out and, and being in high schools now, you know, this time of year. So just to, to kind of to, to start off, what advice would you give to high school players currently involved in the recruiting process? Yeah, I did this on that Zoom call. We kind of got him to it, and I just come home. It goes, it's real simple. This is what I try to tell the kids, and they don't like it when I tell them. If you're a five-star recruit, I even give you a four-star. You got a million options. I'm happy for you. You can go to any school you want. But there's not that many four or five stars. So the point that I'm trying to make is if you're a kid and you have D2 offers, D2 interests, FCS interests, F FCS offers, you need to, uh, how would I call it? You need to respect those schools, respect those coaches, and respect those offers because not everybody can go to Georgia. And I get it. And I, and I said this all the damn time. Every kid wants the biggest school out there. Bro, I understand that. I get it. I would love to make half a million dollars at Georgia too, but I ain't. It's not gonna happen. Or maybe uh, you know I can't speak in existence, but like the chances of that happening mm, is slim. I'll be honest with you, it's slim. And if if it does happen, I'll be blessed. Just like how a kid wants to go to Georgia, and he gets an offer, blessed for him. But what do you do when it doesn't happen? You have to go to the next best fit. 
So I try to tell kids, you got to give every school at least an opportunity because what if I'm at Texas Southern, I'm recruiting your kid, and he blows me off. And he was like, man, I'm too good for the school. Well, what happens if I get a job at a G5, Tulane or um, Southern Miss? Like, I'm just giving like a G5 name or whatever the case may be. I'm going to remember that kid, and I'm going to remember how he treated me. So I think you just have to respect every school talking to you and stop just waiting for the biggest offer. Because if you keep waiting, you're going to get left behind. And now with the portal, that's what I'm kind of getting to. Like, if you are – the college coaches are recruiting portal because they're older and they're experienced and they trust them more. That's why high school recruiting is so watered down now. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're a big-time recruit, like a five-star, man, you got options. You can play with some things. But when you don't have those big-time offers, stop waiting. Secure yourself. Respect every school that offers you. Understand it. Families have the problem with that, too. I want my son to go here. Like, I get it. But nowadays, how it goes, you can go to a D2 FCS, jump in the portal in two years, and go to your big school. Our guy just went to U of H. Before I got there, he was he, he was okay player. I got him to be an All-American. I helped him develop to be an All-American. Be aggressive. This is what it is. Now he goes to U of H. Like, I think you just have to understand you can go to the league from anywhere. Kids always say, I got to go here to get to the league. No, you don't. When I was at AM Commerce, Tyron will tell you, we had over 20 guys go to the league from D2. One guy that I recruited, signed, coached, he's a starting corner right now for the Miami Dolphins. Cater Kohu, 5'8, 5'9, thick as can be, can run, physical, plays hard. He's in the league. So I just think a lot of kids, families, they're a little delusional. Your son ain't sick. Unless you have the freak measurables, unless you're 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and you've just been blessed by God, you need to be humble and you need to respect every school that talks to you. That's my advice. They're not going to listen to me. They're going to say, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to HBCU. I don't want to go to FCS. I don't want to go D2. All right, cool. But you're going to get left behind and you're going to go to your school that maybe you want to go to but you're going to be unhappy and you're going to transfer and you're going to leave and you're going to blame everybody else. So my whole deal is that unless you're just a freak show or unless you do one thing that's amazing, unless you run a 4-3, you have the measurables or you're a genius, you need to be humble and you need to respect the game. I think you could, uh, if you wanted to, make a, a side hustle coming to uh, and speaking at all of these um, spring parent meetings. I know we have one every spring and and it seems like more and more of that uh, each year gets devoted to recruiting and yes. um, having those same kind of conversations that you're having with parents. Um, but I do agree, you know, and I just think about just in this podcast alone, how, how many guys I've talked to who are, you know, at one time high school coaches when, when I, they were a high school coach or they were a D2 coach or a D3 coach when we started this podcast. And now they are at a G5 power five school. Um, and, and so just in that, I mean, just a matter of a couple of years, Joe price, again, we talked about it. We talked about yeah. a lot. Great example. Um, uh, you know, several people on here, I won't go through all of them, but several people on here who, uh, that you just don't ever know. And, and that's why it's so important. Like you said, to respect every offer, because it is, especially with, with the landscape, the way it is now, it's so difficult to get those, to get those offers. Um, so, even, yeah, go, no, I mean, go like, ahead. You can get an early offer from a power five and you get dropped. They drop them all the time. So then if you just disrespected all the other schools that recruited you, you think they're going to come back and want you? No, just be honest. Hey coach, I got a, you know, we're smart. If you got a couple of G five offers, 
you'll probably be a G5 player. But at some point in time, those G5s might drop because they want Porter or they don't want, I don't want you no more. Then you got to fall back to the FCS. So I just think, and I would love to do those meetings, but the families will hate me because it's not even just the families, it's the culture. Everybody wants the biggest, the best thing, and think everybody thinks they deserve it. Man, I did a, like I said, I did a Zoom call podcast like a month ago. I think I'm good enough to be at a G5, a Power 5 as a position coach. I really do. But right now, it ain't my calling. So I'm going to be where my feet are at. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to develop. And fruits of the labor is that I've already had guys jump in the portal. Joe Price, UTSA, got one of the guys that I recruited, signed and coached, me and Coach Yates. So I just think you got to go to the best fit, best school, and sometimes chasing those things that don't matter are going to affect you because I did it as a coach. We talked about it as a young coach. Like, I wanted to be at the biggest school, get paid the most money. That would be great. And I hope it does happen at some point in time. But what if it doesn't happen? Am I going to be mad the whole time coaching? No, I got to uh, be blessed where I'm at, be blessed to have a job because I didn't have a job for two months. Like, you have to understand, like, and I wish I can, and I really would love to get paid just to go around telling everybody in the families, like, unless your guy's a freak show, you ain't going to a battle five school. And I get a little bit of passion about it because I've been at such a small school for so long that I've gotten disrespect to go to a school and I'm like, hey, you know, the kid's pretty good. And he's like, well, he's not going to go to you. Okay. But when he goes to his power, when Billy Bob goes to his power five and he ain't playing, he's going to want to drop down. And I ain't going to take him because he was rude, disrespectful. You think you're better than us? No, you're not. So, and you can go to the league from everywhere again. So I just think, and it happens in high school, and you see it like kids transfer high schools. Why? If you are good, the coach is going to find you. Like, it's simple. I don't want to hear this, like, I got to go to this school because they produce more guys. What? That makes zero sense. Unless you just don't like the coaches at all. But still, you're going to be fine. You're going to find a home if you're good enough. They'll find you somehow, some way, just like the NFL does. Simple. Absolutely. Well, we we have uh, we struck oil here uh, in this conversation. We 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 got a we're, we're cooking with some with some grease now. So now you've you've given the advice to uh, the high school players. What about? myself high school coaches trying to get their kids recruited put their stuff out there we got those same moms on our back saying hey where's why is my son not getting offers and and i'm just speaking in general terms i'm not saying yeah, that no, that's with me but you know how, what advice would you give us to high, would you give to us as high school coaches yeah of course relationships matter i mean you got to know some people and send it their way to me i think a thing that high school coaches could do, I wouldn't say a better job of, but maybe something different, is knowing what's at that school. I'm example. When I was at Division II, A&M Commerce, I'll be honest with you, I had a corner every year to go to the league. Remind you, the league, get in the camp. So I would go to these schools, and they'd be like, he's not going to go play D2. I think he's a little bit better than what you got. Well, I just gave you a prime example. The starting corner with the Miami Dolphins won Division II, your guy that you're saying is too good for me, he's not better than the guy that I have. So I think I think the best thing to do and, and, and is kind of just watching. And I think you guys all watch it. Like, everybody loves football. We do this for a reason. So I just think it's kind of important to know maybe what you have or maybe just know you got some pretty good players. I think there's good players at every level. Angelo State, Midwestern. I know guys all over the place. There's good football players 
at every level. So I think when you send the kid to the coach, you know, some people don't like to oversell. I oversell sometimes too. But I just think maybe saying one thing with the kid does great because I think that's what matters. Like, okay, you got a kid that plays linebacker. Decent measurables. Decent. Let's say just average measurables. Well, Coach, he's really fast and he can run and hit. Boom. On the radar because he does something really well. So I think high school to do a great job, especially in Texas. I just think sometimes, and maybe just because I've been at the lower level for so long, they never know what I have. Like, they never know what I'm looking for. And that's probably, like, the coach has got to do a good job of telling you what I want. Like, because I got a buddy of mine, he coaches, and he always says, well, I don't like short DBs. That's a lie. If he can run and he got ball skills, I'm going to take a look at him. That's an example. But you have to, you know, I think he has to have one thing or two things. So I don't know. I suppose you do a great job with the latest information. I would just say, like, the uh, same thing with the coaches. Uh, don't just, I'll I give you a prime example. This is it. Go to a school. We talked about it today when I went to uh, my buddy at Clear Lake. Some coaches, it doesn't matter if it's Texas or somewhere else. I'm at the FCS level. They will give me two different lists. They'll give me the uh, D2 list and they'll give me the FCS list. Dion talked about it, but they won't give me the power five list. Well, what happens if those power five schools drop your kid? He's got to go down because he can no longer go to power five because they got full. So what about the G5 list? Well, the G5s are full. Huh, okay. The FCSs. Hmm, okay, we'll see. So I think same thing when I go on the school. Just respect me and respect the university, man. How about that? Like, I, I think it's got to be a little bit of both. And that's why, like, I don't think a trailer would tell you, he's just like, you can come from 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A. There's good football players all over the place. There really is. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I don't think they got to do a better job of it. I just think there's got to be some communication about what you want. You know, if you had a guy and I'm like, hey, man, he, he, let's say he's a great DB, but I don't have any DB spots available. I'm just going to tell you, coach, we're full. I don't have anything. So then you're not really getting mad at me. You're not like, well, coach doesn't want to recruit him. Well, I don't have any spots right now. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. I think it's just more communication. That's what I would boil down to. With all that being said, it has nothing to do sometimes just with a lot of things, just communication. You know, what are you looking for, coach? What you like? You looking 123, 124, what position? You know, what kind of height and weight? So I think just asking the coach what he wants and you might fit the profile of the kid, it works out. So boils down the communication on both parties, and college coaches too. Yeah, you talked about, um, you know, guys not understanding what you have. Um, my, my eyes are really opened. Um, we went back. Uh, our, our off week was the same week that Harding, uh, we talked yep. about it before we hit recording, uh, Harding played uh, OBU, Wachita Baptist. And so yep. it was, they were playing in Arkadelphia, which is about an hour and a half from us. So we, we me and a couple of the coaches drove up to watch that game because um, we have players on, on both teams uh, playing in that game. And so we're down on the field uh, on the sideline watching the game, and we're all blown away at the size of these guys. I mean, this is Division II football, and they're, they're two of the better programs in Division II. But, you know, we're looking at our kids and saying, can any of our kids play at this? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it was really shocking. And I played at that school, but just the um, how it's changed, you know, um, man, I mean, it, was, it really was uh, unbelievable. The size, the speed, the collisions that were happening. And, and again, this is a quote unquote division two small school football game. And Correct. there's, there's grown men out there. Oh yeah. I mean, that's where, and I probably just speak at it like an angry coach because I come from the bottom up. I didn't, well, wasn't blessed to just happen to get a job at 
I don't know, UT, where I'm just like, oh, I'm getting the best of the best. Yeah, I mean, I, I congratulations. I, I mean, I like, yeah, I would love it. But, like, you just have to do a little bit more. You got to find a little bit more. And, and be honest with you, I've had DBs that are better than UT guys. Like, really? I mean, so, again, the only thing that changes is O-linemen and D-linemen. Those were, like, you got to be big or you got to be super explosive like Aaron Donald. So that was that's more of a generic. I would tell a family, unless your son's a Greek guy already, he ain't going to that power five. Skill guys, it's a little bit more flexible because you see small guys all the time at all levels that are really good. So I think the O-line, D-line, you can have a quicker conversation about your guy can do it or can't. Skill guys, it's a lot of up in the air. It's a lot of like, what do you like? Do you like small DBs? Do you like small receivers? A lot of guys in the spread offense love short receivers. So therefore, you got a shot. So it just varies. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to, before we get you out of here, I want to close out with some rapid fire questions. If you, you know, you don't strike me as a guy who has much of an opinion. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, that's sarcasm. So I know yeah. you'll have some great answers uh, for these questions I got for you. So here we go. You've already, you, you've talked about um, some guys that you've been fortunate to coach in the league, but when you're watching football, you know, prof- let's say professional football, who's, who is your favorite professional defensive back to watch? Yeah, there's so many. I, you know, I don't have a, a design, just one person. But I like Patrick Sertain. I like Sauce Gardner. There's Justin Simmons with the Broncos. And there's so many guys in the league that are talented. When I was growing up, I would have, like, favorite players, Charles Woodson, Rod Woodson, Dion. You know, but as I got older in the coaching world, I kind of respected more probably, you know, because I'm not playing, I'm coaching it. So I don't necessarily have a favorite go-to player. But I got, you know, Steelers are my favorite team of all time. But I like football in general. So, I think as like the older I've gotten, I don't just have one. Like I'm not like a. I give you an example: it's basketball, but like LeBron, people are LeBron fans. No matter what team he goes to, that's their favorite team. I don't operate that way. So, um, I just respect the game. I like the game. There's so many good players out there, but there's guys that I like to watch and study. You know, and like Sauce Gardner's new. Like I said, Patrick Sertan, Darius Slay. I was with him at the Lions. Uh, he's a great player, great guy. So little things like that. So, if you could uh, sit down and have lunch uh, with any coach. Uh, any level this off season and, and just pick their brain and talk to them a little bit, who would that be? Ooh, that's a great question. Who would I pick a brain of anybody uh, this year? I would probably just go with the legend. I would go with Bill Belichick. I know the Patriots always struggled uh, and I get it, um, but I've always respected his mind as an overall. I know they've been struggling. People that don't like what he's doing, but just as far as the football, everything that I've read, a book that I've studied, um, he's a genius at the, at the game. So I would just love to pick his brain just to sit in there. I don't even have to talk. I don't have to do nothing. So our lunch would be the worst thing ever because I wouldn't say a word. I would just let him talk. So uh, I would probably say Bill Belichick just because I've read books and audio books. Like, he's just a big deal because he's so smart. You think you could get uh, Coach Belichick to crack a smile or, or you know, maybe work in a joke there? Or what, what, what would uh, you I've been a comedian in my lifetime. I think I could make him laugh. <laughs> I don't know if he had quote Like, I, I would have to work a little bit at it, but uh, – I think I could make him laugh. It's just going to take some time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Who are who are some coaches uh, that, that you think are really good followers that you recommend us following on Twitter? Like whether maybe it's because they put out a lot of drills or they, you know, put they pump out some good content there. Who are some coaches that that these guys listening need to follow on Twitter? Oof, that's a good question. I'm going to have to look that one up, Coach. Uh, There's some guys on Twitter that put a lot of stuff out there, but – you know, it's crazy. I, I follow this one guy, and he, he pushes, like, the NFL stuff. I would say a lot of coaches just don't put – in college, maybe they don't as much because everybody's so secretive. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't have a direct, direct person, but I will uh, – I follow 
a couple guys on Twitter where I just look at them all the time. I just like them because I want to always go back to them. It's like a lot of the little short clips of the NFL guys doing drills. And it sounds like it, it could be 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how much you can pick up in even 15 seconds. So I would say really just scrolling Twitter. And you know how it is. If you like one post, they, they end up like giving you more posts that maybe you don't even follow or you don't even like the person. But they just always post videos. So I like those little 15-second clips of somebody in the league doing a drill. It doesn't even have to be just a DB position because I like to pick that thing real quick in 15 seconds and say, oh, I can see why they're doing that now. So that's actually what I like, random videos on Twitter when they're like 15, 30-second clips, and it's just boom, boom, bow. And I'm like, damn, I won't like it. So I'll, I can go back to it later. It's random, but. No, that's that's probably, uh, if I look at my Twitter of, of I mean, that's that's the most of the stuff that I'm liking. Oh, that's a cool, that's cool. And, 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 it's, and it's really short. You really know, short. Um, um, maybe has one or two coaching points that you pick up on there. Um, so, no, I, I'm a fan of those as well. Okay. Uh, now we're go- this is where we're going to kind of deviate from our normal uh, routine here. Coach, because you are a DB coach, and I don't know if you know, but I'm sure you're aware that there are stereotypes associated with DB coaches. Are you are you aware of the some of the stereotypes? Okay, Here, here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a stereotype, and you say if it's true or not true. Got it. Okay. All right. DB coach stereotype. First one on the list. You wear cleats to practice. Is that, is that true? It's it's true when the coach is starting out. Okay. They get older, no, but it's definitely true. Yes. Okay. All right. Is that true of you? Do you wear Do you wear cleats? I did. I did when I first got to college and realized I like blew my hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We. Have, I mean, we, it's it, it is kind of it, it's it's one of those things. I mean, I guess that's why there's stereotypes because there is some truth there. Um, okay. Uh, string backpack or backpack to practice. Are you wearing the uh, backpack? And I would say yes. I don't. I've actually never been that tight, but I've known coaches and I've seen it. At all levels, yes, that's a fact, truth. Okay, and and I guess I'm focusing a lot on on what they wear, but, I, but yeah, that, um, that, that's that's a myth about DB coaches. Visor, visor. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I know. Not- <laughs> <laughs> Don't wear visor because I got curly hair, but uh, yeah. I have a younger coach, so yeah, the stigma's visor. Yes, damn. Tights under the shorts. Yes, I don't again. <laughs> but I've seen- <laughs> so I'm hitting, I'm batting a thousand right now on DB coach stereotypes. That's a fact. Yes, they wear tights. Yeah, um, I would say the script folded up in the in the sheet protector and the shorts, but I think that's kind of every coach. I mean, yeah. I, I do that, um, yeah. but uh, I do what, that too. I take pride in that all the detail. Yeah, yeah. What about um? And again, I, I'm I, I'm I see you have your uh, your your pilot G2 pin there. That's that's my pin of choice. Yeah. Um, always, I have it in my pocket, but uh, here's another possible, maybe kind of fringe DB coach stereotype. Um, highlighters or markers clipped on their whistle lanyard. Yes, I would say all that is again true. The only difference between me is like uh, I always like never have a pen out there, and I always grab it from another coach and never get it back. I do it for my linebacks coach all the time, so I go out there with no pen, and then I go out there with a pen for my notes of the day. So yes, I don't start it, but I always end with a pen. It's not even my pen. So, so what other DB coach stereotypes am I missing here? Because this is just what I, what am I missing? Loud. They talk crazy to the receiver coaches. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, everything is like, it's a sack. They're never going to throw it. Uh, that's a big one. Um, you know how it is like 
the quarterback's never going to have that much time to throw the ball. That's a big DB saying. Uh, they did all. They did a push off. They never called it. That's probably number one. Like the offensive receivers always push off, and it's never called. And they're gonna, you know, to complain about it, but they're never gonna call it. So really, I would say everything you said was damn near on. So I, I, I can't, I, I can't even lie say no. Well, and and I was gonna ask when we're talking about Indy, at what segment do you guys work on the, you know, the where, where now it's the seat belt, it's the waving the, <laughs> the no fly zone stuff. I will probably <laughs> at any coaching spot I've ever been at. Ever talked about how to celebrate and what to do? I just look at it from a uh, a point of like everywhere I've been, the kids do all the same thing. They do this even when they're beat or not beat. They do that. This is the new wave right there. So really, it's kind of like nationwide, like DB players, guys on the field, just look at somebody else do it one time, and then it's like a trend forever. Like it goes for years. Like the seatbelt, I swear, years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, so really it's like DB guys, like they, 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 uh, players and coaches, we get latched on quick. Like every year I have a new name of what the group name is. Like they just take the name and they just run with it. Like same thing about the seatbelt. They take it celebration and they run with it. We just kind of get latched on quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the deal is, is you didn't, you didn't shy away from any of those things. You embraced it, said, yeah, that's true. You owned up to it. And again, we could go through. Uh, this is this podcast uh, kind of originated as D line podcast. I could go through some D line um, stereotype, D line coach stereotypes pretty quick, but um, you know, and I, and I've probably and I'm guilty of a lot of those as well. But uh, anyway, we'll save those for another time. But coach, man, it was a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun talking with you today, and, and appreciate the uh, just the passion and energy that you bring. And and I'm sure that those guys um, over there at Texas Southern enjoy being around you every day. And uh, just want to thank you for for uh, coming on and sharing with us today. No, I love it, man. That's what the professor's about. It's about giving back, giving knowledge, and accepting the knowledge and actually just learning. So I, I love, I think people need to do more of it. Of, uh, it's kind of for your own development. I mean, you got to be able to talk to somebody that you don't know, maybe ask you questions that you wasn't ready for, and you have to be able to spit it. So that'll be my last nugget in recruiting. I'll tell every kid, if a coach can't spit it to you like that, and he's got to think about it, he's got to process it, then he ain't the one for you because – He's either gonna you go sugarcoat some things, he's gonna lie to you. So I take pride in just being authentic and just even if he's even if it's wrong, I mean it's still gonna be authentic. I mean, everybody ain't right. So um I take pride in giving the information, but also accepting the information. So I'm with you. And and I could tell it was originally from a D line because it's keep your pass down. So uh to be honest with you, I wasn't gonna throw that out there. But yes, that's a that's a main thing at D line. I was with Watson, you yell it all the damn time, trust me. So I know. Yeah, that is, and that's that's where the title of the podcast came from. That's that some variation of that phrase is being yelled at at all times because all time. it's never, it's you know when never. you have four guys or you have three, you know whatever. It's they're not all all doing what they're supposed to do as far as their pad level goes at one time. So yeah, well, coach, again, appreciate it. Thank you so much, and good luck to you guys uh, this off season and 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 beyond. Thanks again to Coach Garrigan for joining us today. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter at TSU DB Coach and let him know you heard him here on KYPD. And if we miss some DB Coach stereotypes, then by all means, let us know. You can tag us with those on Twitter at KYPD Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Also, speaking of hearing from you, if you like the podcast, then take a couple minutes and give us a five star rating and a review and help us spread the word about KYPD. Our quote of the day comes from Nick Saban and goes like this. The hardest part is we have to believe the truth when someone tells us we need to improve on something. If you don't, you'll never improve.
And that is a wrap for this episode of KYPD. Thanks again for checking us out today. And thanks again to Coach DG for joining us. Speaking of Coach, he's got one more nugget of wisdom to drop on y'all before we close this thing out today. What you got, Coach? At the end of the day, it don't matter what position you play, you got to keep your pass down. Listen up.